I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. If we're going to talk about the lies the church told us, then a really good place to start is purity culture. Nothing reveals the fear and the control that results from fear than purity culture. Purity culture is the church's attempt to control the narrative around sex and sexuality. This week, we have two episodes on purity culture. These are both with my friend Lucy Rowett, whom I met through Instagram. I have found her material so helpful. Yesterday's episode and this episode are actually recorded Instagram lives that we did on my personal Instagram at Catherine Spearing. The first episode was about the trauma that purity culture can cause, and our next episode, today's episode, is unpacking some of the lies we were told through purity culture. So get ready for two pretty explosive episodes, if I may say so myself, and enjoy unpacking this very damaging ideology that I suspect is kind of at the heart of a lot of the issues in evangelicalism. Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse from evangelical communities and home of the Uncertain Podcast, is hosting its first in-person retreat con October 20th through 22nd. This retreat con will have the intimacy of a retreat with the intentionality of a conference. In partnership with the I Got Out movement, the retreat con will also feature a special event story slam highlighting survivor stories live and in person. Registration is currently open and spots are limited, so don't miss out. Sign up with the link in the show notes. Here's the episode, The Myths of Purity Culture, with Lucy Rowett. Today, we're going to talk about the myths of purity culture uh, for folks who are watching and may not know me. I'm Katherine Spearing. I'm a trauma recovery coach. I also run a nonprofit for survivors of spiritual abuse and purity culture absolutely 100% falls under the realm of spiritual abuse. So we talk about that a lot in terms of just using God and the Bible to shame people into a certain sexual ethic. Uh, And so I'm here with Lucy. Lucy, please introduce yourself. So hi, everyone. Uh, I am a certified sex coach and a sexologist. and I'm really passionate about working with women and people with vulvas to embrace pleasure and embrace the joy of their sexuality shamelessly. I'm also a former evangelical Christian, so I grew up in the church. And um, as you can tell, I'm from Britain. I have a British accent. So I grew up in the UK, in London, in the noughties. Um, and I got a big fat dose of purity culture as well. So this was you know, uh, recovering from evangelical Christianity and purity culture has been a big part of the reason why I became a psychologist and many other Mm. reasons. Yeah, and it's formed a big part of my own journey, per se. And I went through faith deconstruction probably 10 years ago-ish. But the thing about faith deconstruction and leaving it is it's not a one-stop shop. It's a constant unraveling. And even though there are some things yeah, that doesn't bother me anymore, I realise there's often deeper layers to it. And mm-hmm. you know, my, I'm, I also want to say that the Christianity that I was exposed to, the purity culture in the UK is a slightly different flavour to what you get in the US and to what you get in other countries. Different flavours of the same ice cream. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. different flavours, different tone, you know. So there there are a lot of similarities and there are a few subtle differences. Um, I was going to say something else and it's gone out of my head, but I'm very familiar with shame, sex mm-hmm. and shame. And the real embodied shame that purity culture gives you and then what it often takes to start to release that. Um, the work that I do, I try, I am as trauma-informed as I can be. Um, I really believe in the concept of body first and that our bodies are wonderful, intelligent, biological things that have so much wisdom and that often the healing comes through being in the body and by how can we keep releasing that shame. And yeah, there's so much I could talk to and talk about and I'm really excited to get into this. Right, I'm excited to get into this too. Um, and I mentioned just before you popped on that we did another one about another Instagram live about a month ago where we talked specifically yeah. about trauma in purity culture and how the trauma trauma will show up uh, in um, uh, sexuality and sexual relationships when um, you have 
been raised in hippie culture. So if if you haven't watched that yet, go ahead and check it out. Um, but we're gonna play. We're gonna play. We're gonna play a little game with the myth of purity culture. So first of all, myth. A myth. The way I would define a myth of purity culture um, is uh, so. There's a in the in evangelicalism. There's a certain uh, viewpoint of like what sex is and how it should be expressed, and then the myths or I, I feel comfortable saying now the lies um, that that come in are there to sort of often to scare us and to to shame us into staying within this. Um, but a lot of these myths um, uh, are, are not are not true. Um, when when we start studying um, just like sex and sexuality, as you know, obviously, Lucy. Um, and so, so we're just going to unpack some of the ones that we have uh, that are common that we often hear. If I remember at the end, Lucy, I would love to hear like your favorite myth or the one that just like comes up for you a lot or you think about a lot. So we'll go through them, and then I would, if I remember. I, Remind me, but uh, I, I might forget. <laughs> okay. and, and there's one thing that I want to say to everybody watching, listening, is that because um, when we were when we were preparing for this, you know, doing a back and forth, making you know, listening to people's questions and remembering the, our own myths, and you were saying, "Oh my God, I didn't remember that, but now right. I do." When you're listening to these, you'll suddenly remember, like, "Oh my God," or "Oh my gosh." Um, I didn't remember that, but I remember that now because the thing about these myths and these messages is that because they get repeated so many times and often it's not just one pe person telling you, it's the whole environment you're in. It's the whole ecosystem. You take them as a given until somebody voices them and somebody challenges you. Right. So try, allow yourself to be surprised and please don't beat yourself up. Absolutely. Even if you are. 10 years post deconstruction, even if you mentally think you are, please don't beat yourself up because the way that this works, it goes very, very deep and we're not always aware of it until we become aware of it. So, and also one, uh, another caveat is that often it takes a while to release these myths or these messages. So if one feels really sticky for you, like really like, oh, why can't I change that? Please be kind to yourself. There's always a reason for it, and we get, we recover, we heal by loving ourselves rather than beating ourselves up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if it's a, and if it is like a sticky place, then that 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 is a good one to just kind of sit with a little bit and like yeah. let let that like why is that sticky? Why is that a hard one? Why is that? And just yeah, give that let that be an opportunity to just ask your body what it is trying to tell you in that moment. All right, so we're gonna play a little game. Okay, I I've got these on my laptop say... as well, <laughs> so I'm mentally prepared. All right, good. Um, so I'm going to say, the game is called, How Would You Respond? And I'm going to just say a statement, and this is a statement either like verbatim, I have literally heard this before, or it's just like in our wait, in our uh, back and forth conversation, just kind of developed yeah. that. I'm just going to say the statement, and then you tell me how you would respond to that statement. Number one, the common admonition to girls. If you don't want it touched, don't show it. And by that, we're meaning in terms of a body part. Body part. So like right now, I'm wearing a low V-neck top. If I were in purity culture, this could be an open, they, they would perceive this as an open invitation. So if you don't show it, what's it? If you don't want it touched, don't show it. This is absolutely bloody ridiculous. So something to remember, you may be familiar in purity culture, is that it's normal, you know, if you were ever at a full party where boys were allowed to take their tops off, but girls won't. Why is it that we're allowed to see men more naked, but girls not? Also, it's about consent. It doesn't matter whether you are completely naked or not. Nobody has the right to touch you if you don't want it. And I'll say this. If you are ever in, ever in any kind of environment where people are nude and you see the respect there, you'll know that somebody's nudity or somebody's skin or how much skin they are showing is nothing to do with how much respect they are owed. And it's actually much more to do with the attitudes of people rather than how much you're showing. 
And you're probably not walking around naked all day. You're probably walking around just with a little bit of extra skin. Your body is your own. And if somebody feels that they have the right to touch your body without your consent, that is their own entitlement rather than your own body. Yes, definitely 100% an entitlement. Entitlement. It's an entitlement and it's like, these are the rules, follow the rules. And we have established these rules, therefore you must follow them. And they're established as we'll get into um, for a certain set of people. Uh, All right, ready for number two? Mm -hmm. Number two, having, how would you respond to this? Having sex with someone creates a soul tie. I'm gonna shut my laptop there. That, I remember, whenever I see that and hear that, that hits me in the feels because this attitude also exists. There's a crossover within conscious sexuality and a lot of the new age tantra world as well. And the idea that having sex with someone creates a soul tie. Of course, I'm gonna say that's absolute bullshit. But I'd also think about what part of the sexual act creates the soul tie. Like, where is where is that point? Where is where is the threshold in which right. your souls become combined? Now, the thing is, if you want to believe in the concept of soul ties, if that still resonates with you, what if you understood that we could create soul ties? through just becoming attached to people, through friends that we're attached to, to people in the media. If you want to go down that whole rabbit hole of soul ties, sex is not the only place that we could create a soul tie. And at the same time, this idea that if somebody penetrates us or we penetrate somebody else, that we create a soul tie. Well, of course, scientifically, that's absolute bullshit. But also think about the meaning you're pushing on it. So, I mean, we may be covering this as well in terms of when you have sex with someone, you're always going to get hurt. If you're telling people, if you're telling people over and over again that by being penetrated by somebody, because that's what they mean by sex, some form of, some form of penetration or some form of genital contact, if you believe that you're going to get a soul tie through that, then it's going to create, um, what's the word, a, a feedback loop in your brain where you're going to feel some sort of emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. And also think about that. What about you know people who are assaulted or who have non-consensual sexual yeah. experiences? It's really icky, and it. I you know I I guess I'm a spiritual person per se. I like I believe in the concept of a soul. But if we believe that we're having a soul tie through every single person we're having sex with, that creates a really messy sense of self. I don't believe that your soul can ever be affected by or somehow tainted by any kind of penetration. So please cut that out. If you believe that, or if you maybe have a felt sense of that, there's a very simple thing you could do of imagining you're calling it back. The idea that you can create a soul tie with somebody through sex, you can create an emotional attachment through that, but it's the meaning that you're putting on it. So please right. disregard. Yeah, and it, and it can become, if you, if that is a belief system, then it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy to some extent yeah. and making it a bigger, a bigger deal than it, yeah. than it maybe is meant to be. Um, uh, one thing I want to say is another really wonderful way of flipping this over or flipping this around is if the idea that we can create soul ties with people through having sex and maybe the idea that we can create soul ties with people through other ways, like people would become emotionally attached to. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing of having all these wonderful soul attachments to many, many people in the world and another way of feeling connected <laughs> with people? Reframe it. Reframe it. I like I'm it. reclaiming it. It's like, yeah, yeah I'm connected to wonderful people. I'm connected to a really deep level. Mm-hmm. So you could completely flip that around and really own that. Like, oh, sure, yeah. I'm I'm connected with wonderful people. Oh, yes, wonderful. This is wonderful. (laughs) You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support.
You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. Number three, how would you respond? Premarital sex ruins marital sex. Sex within marriage. God, that's another really big one. Um, so first of all, define ruin. Um, let's let's get very specific about how it ruins marital sex. Is it because you're comparing them to somebody else? Well, the thing is, all humans, we always compare people. That's a very human thing to do. Is it a bad thing to be comparing your current spouse to a previous partner? Maybe if that previous partner was really crap and your current partner's really good, or vice mm-hmm. versa. It's this idea that, and it's also this idea that you can own, what's it? It's this idea of emotional scarcity, that we can only truly bond with one person. Mm-hmm. Complete bullshit. You will inevitably compare different partners if you've had them. But it doesn't have to be a better or worse thing in the same way that you might compare different, I don't know, conversations you've had with people. This idea that you can only create one deep bond with one person is really, really harmful because it actually stops you from really being able to connect with your partner. And also it creates this unhealthy attachment to your current partner. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that, this, oh, this really gets me in the field since like, why is it such a bad thing to necessarily compare previous partners? Especially if one partner was much more skilled than the other partner. But also, it's... I'm, I'm struggling to find my words here because I've had this said to me before and I was trying to verbalise why this isn't a bad thing. But it's to think about that what if, as a human, you are capable of having many different sexual experiences? None of them are bad. There may be sexual experiences you've had that you didn't want to have, but this idea that you are saving your sexuality or if we're going to get really specific here, um, your body or even your vagina with one person it creates this, I remember what this Tantra teacher called it, she called it um, Walt Disney Syndrome. This idea where we are idolizing and idealizing this one person, that this one person, your your spouse is going to fulfill every single sexual mm-hmm. need and emotional need. It's going to set you up for failure. It's going to set you up for feeling disappointed, for feeling resentful, for feeling like, well, it's a big anti-climax. It can't ruin sex with your current partner mm-hmm. unless this is the meaning you're putting on it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to put this meaning that any sexual partners you've had before your current spouse somehow diminishes the sex you're going to have, then that's going to happen because that's what you believe. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, if you can believe that all the sexual experiences you've had prior to your partner have made you more skilled as a lover, have made you know your body better, have made you know your boundaries better, have made you know what you definitely want and what you definitely don't want, have made you more responsive as a partner and that your capacity to love and be attached to somebody is not defining on one particular person, it actually makes you a much more mature and healthier adult. Because if you think about it, it's a, it's very emotionally immature if we're going to use therapy speak to be putting all of our sexual, emotional, mental, social needs on one partner. Mm-hmm. So think about it as a form of maturity. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that you have to then go out and sleep with loads of people. Right. right. Challenge this notion, but it's going to ruin it. And actually... it doesn't mean that you will. If no. <laughs> if you take that like, step. Right. And you know, speaking as a married woman myself, who's had previous sexual partners, no, my relationship with my husband is very unique and what it is. And the mm-hmm. previous relationships and sexual experiences I've had have been unique to what they were. And that was it. Everything is different. It's just mm-hmm. different. Nothing is better or worse, apart from experiences I don't want to recreate. Exactly. Yeah, and I feel like this belief and a lot of these uh, myths come from uh, what I call Christian karma or yeah. uh, often known as prosperity gospel if you do these things then these good things will happen and so Mm -hmm. then if you are having um struggles or challenges with your partner 
and I I remember these stories getting told in the church, and it's like the 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 sexual challenges in our marriage are directly related to the fact that he looked at porn before we got married, or are directly related to the fact that she slept with other people before we got married, and that was just like the easy thing to like pin it on. Um, and so, yeah, very, uh, a very, just like very narrow view and a very much mm-hmm. like, like this bad sin and that is the reason and, and mm-hmm. not taking into consideration the complexities mm-hmm. of, uh, relationships and people and stories, um, and other factors that might be contributing to that and not necessarily, uh, just the fact that someone slept with someone else. And also, like this, exi- this attitude can exist in milder forms in even secular therapy and coaching, and you know, conscious sexuality or tantra. This idea that we must create this very tight, intimate container with our partner, and that we must focus all of our energy just on them. And purity culture then takes it to this extra extreme. Right. This idea that. And also think, I encourage you to challenge and think about how it ends up putting a certain kind of sex and intimacy as the right kind mm-hmm. and anything else as either a sin, either as causing heartbreak, either as causing something unhealthy. And I encourage you to think about that, this putting certain kinds, idolizing and putting certain kinds of sex and intimacy and connection on a pedestal rather than they are different flavors. And there are things mm-hmm. that you are going to prefer and things that you definitely don't want to do. And it's completely possible, and I say this from professional experience and personal experience, you can have terrible sex with your current spouse that have nothing to do with anything. And maybe you're really familiar with that. And you can have had wonderful sex with a casual partner. And I really want to put it back to, again, it's the meaning that we attach to it. If you are in an environment where you are constantly being told by all the people around you how bad porn is, that porn is going to ruin your relationship and your marriage. That is that 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 is it's you're going to seek that. That's confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. So I invite you to expand that idea. It's absolutely bullshit. Mm-hmm. All right. Next one. How would you respond to this statement? Penetrative sex completely changes you. <laughs> I think I wrote that one because that's one I was familiar with. Because I remember the first time I had my when I had my sexual debut, and by that I mean losing my virginity. We call it sexual debut, but which was basically the first time I had a penis inside of me. I remember looking in the mirror afterwards, like, am I am I a different? Pu-? I remember looking at myself in the mirror, like. And maybe you're, maybe Catherine, you're familiar with this part of the first time. You should be like, have I, has my right. soul, you know, like, and this Or just being like, wait, but nothing happened. Like, I'm fine. Like, I'm. <laughs> and my spirituality is just. Right. Um, and of course, I can say that's absolute bullshit. And if you've, if you're watching this and you've had penetrative sex, and did you feel any different afterwards? And maybe not immediately afterwards, but were you the same person? Or had, did your personality completely change? Or were you more surprised that you didn't feel much different? Mm-hmm. Maybe you felt physically a little bit different, or maybe you were just a bit more disappointed or a bit more surprised of, oh, I'm just carrying on with my day. Life goes on. Life goes on. Oh, of course it doesn't. And um, it, it's this idea, and if you think about this, it's this idea that having a penis inside of you will completely change who you are as a person. The idea that a penis can change it isn't that, isn't that, also if you think about it, if you believe in the concept of you know, having a soul and having a spirit, the idea mm-hmm. that somebody's genitals could somehow alter your soul and your spirit when your soul and your spirit is supposed to be this infinite marvelous divine thing isn't that really stupid mm-hmm. the idea that what you do with your genitals or what somebody does with your genitals that can often feel really good suddenly changes this infinite mm-hmm. thing about who you are what would you say to the because i've literally heard sermons 
where the male pastor said I was a completely different person after having sex with my wife. What would you, are they just straight up lying or is it possible that they just had this really great experience or what would you say to that? I mean, from the outset, again, there could be loads of different interpretations right. to this. He could just have felt very, I would also think it was, it was the emotional and mental meaning he put onto it. There you go. If you think about it, I don't know this pastor, but he was in the environment and telling himself that in the lead up to marrying his wife and doing this holy deed with his wife, that this was a big thing, that this was a big momentous thing. And, you know, he would have felt really horny throughout his lifetime, as most people do. And he's been saving himself and holding it in and trying not to have him have him trying not to masturbate or maybe he didn't felt really guilty and now he's come to this big climactic event and also sex for men and penis habits is going to feel different because different bodies different parts of, and it was probably very pleasurable for him because penetrative sex for men and penis habits is always going to be more pleasurable because it's going to hit it penetrative sex is perfect for penises because it provides the perfect amount of stimulation so you add that in so it probably did feel amazing for him and he probably did feel really different because he had sex he crossed that threshold and good for him that it felt good mm -hmm. i'm really glad he felt good but there were but, other factors that led to that being a change as opposed to just that physical act itself so many other factors that led into so that many other factors yeah and you know would he have felt the same if he had i don't know um used a flashlight or you know, <laughs> you and i'm not at all saying that a flashlight or a hand is the same as a real human but would, would he have put the same meaning onto that as humans we create meaning out of things he put a huge lot of meaning into that and you know it probably felt amazing he felt so close to his wife and all of these things Sex can be great, but mm -hmm. really completely changed your life. Yep. Uh, speaking of masturbation, uh, how would you how would you respond to masturbation or solo sex is addictive and dangerous? Or a slippery slope. Our slippery slope. A slippery slope. <laughs> Once you start, you just can't stop. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Once you start, you just can't stop because it just feels so good. So, first of all, the meaning that you put onto it. Masturbation feels good for a reason. It feels good because touching our genitals and having an orgasm, it feels good. Pleasure feels good. But the thing is, when it's it's a very wonderful and awful formula, when you add something that feels really good, and then you add in a load of shame, plus like one plus one equals really unhealthy behaviors. Mm. So if you are already of that mentality that masturbation is dangerous, masturbation is a sin, and by the way, it's not just masturbation, it's this whole mindset of anything around my genitals is dirty and sinful and dangerous. Mm -hmm. Almost the idea that you're sitting on something dirty and dangerous. The idea that every time you feel aroused, every time something feels good, danger, 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 and then mm -hmm. you masturbate. That is going to create really unhealthy behaviors because of all the shame and all of the stigma and all of the shoulds mm -hmm. attached to it. And then, if, then you add on to that, maybe you confide in your pastor or you confide in a Christian counselor and they will confirm you have an addiction to masturbation, mm -hmm. you have an addiction to porn. When actually, no, it just feels really good, but there's all of that icky shame on top. Mm -hmm. So what if instead, masturbation just feels really good because pleasure is good for you? because touching your genitals and bringing yourself to pleasure is a wonderful life-giving act, a way of nourishing yourself and loving yourself. How would that change around masturbation being addictive and dangerous? Right, what like, yeah, and that was just the approach to it and the feel and the, yeah. And I, I also think that there's an underlying uh, belief system within um, evangelicalism that just, just thinks the pleasure's wrong. 
Um, yeah. And there's only, or there's only very specific parameters around when you're allowed to feel pleasure, or even yes. Honestly, I don't, I don't. I actually think it really wants you to feel pleasure. Honestly, <laughs> um, and so, so something that is really just like its utilitarian purpose is feeling good. Um, that that isn't going to get a lot of support, and that it is and has gotten so much shame and and so much uh, so many rules uh, heaped on top of it. It's only allowed to feel good within these very strict parameters. Right. Then it's holy and wonderful. But anything outside of these very strict parameters, bad, bad, bad shame. Mm-hmm. Does that create a healthy and supportive relationship with your body and with your mm-hmm. sexuality and with your genitals? It doesn't. It right. absolutely doesn't. Right. Right. Uh, second one about masturbation how would you respond to masturbation or solo sex is a form of cheating on your partner or future partner if you don't already have one? Oh god <laughs> <laughs> and it, what's interesting is these attitudes also exist in secular society as well but less so and first of all I would say that I've I invite you to fill into the statement and how true does it feel to you, this idea. Because also it's um, another thing is they're taught that when you're masturbating, you're denying your partner. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. What if you understood that pleasure and orgasms are an infinite resource? They're an infinite resource. I mean, especially as women and people in female bodies, we are capable of having multiple orgasms. Mm-hmm. We're capable of coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And also, men and penis havers, when they learn how to have non-ejaculatory orgasms, they are also capable of becoming multi-orgasmic. So what if this idea that masturbation and self-pleasuring, and we know that according to many, many studies, especially for women and people with vulvas, that regular masturbation in women actually increases our libido per se and our desire for partner sex. So what if you understood, first of all, that regular masturbation actually helps you want to have sex with your partner more, even though we don't, even though I'm, I'm not of that mindset. What if you also understood that masturbation is a wonderful solo act? It's a sexual act that's completely valid in itself. And it's a way of you really being intimate with yourself first and seeing yourself as your primary sexual partner. Something else to add on to this is often when people are talking about masturbation, they're inevitably also talking about porn usage because a lot of people will masturbate watching porn and there's this worry that I'm cheating on my partner by watching porn. Again, not true. Absolutely not. That is not true. But if you're worried about that, what if you could understand that you are allowed to fantasize about other people and it just fills up an erotic need within you? It's not cheating on them. It's the meaning you are putting on it. Mm-hmm. If you are worried that your partner is cheating on you by watching porn, what if you could reframe that as they are fulfilling a need that you can't meet because you cannot no, you cannot meet every single sexual need of your partner and vice versa in the same way that you cannot meet every single emotional, mental or social need of your partner because mm-hmm. that's impossible. What if you watching porn or them watching porn or erotica is a way of you fulfilling that need. And it's something that you could maybe bring to your relationship or marriage, something extra fun. It doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I always recommend this practice called orgasmic yoga. It was created by Joseph Kramer. And it's a way of exploring your erotic potential through breath work, through self-touch, mm. through exercises. I'm a big fan of it because it's a way of you cultivating your own eroticism with yourself. Masturbation is not cheating on your partner. Please know that it's the meaning we put on it. If you're, again, being told multiple times that masturbation or watching porn is cheating on your partner, you're going to feel that guilt. It's going to perpetuate that. And if your therapist, if your pastor is telling you that, as a sexologist, I can confirm you're not cheating on your partner. You are, what way to reframe it is, you're topping up your own erotic tank that you can then bring to your partner and enjoy for yourself too. Mm-hmm. And if there are challenges associated with that, it's a little more complex than it's because you masturbated or it's because you watched porn. There's mm-hmm. oftentimes 
a lot more going on in that scenario than the, just this one thing. I really recommend following a guy called Justin Laymiller. Um, he has an Instagram, he has a podcast. He He's published a few books. I think it was either him or somebody else who cited these statistics that they know that the more uh, religious the person is, like according to studies that are done, the more religious somebody confesses to be or usually politically conservative, they say they are, the more shame is attached to self-pleasuring and masturbation, often the more problematic behaviours that result as that. What if you could understand that it is not the behaviour itself, it's the shame that's attached to it? We also know that, according to other studies, that in more conservative regions of the United States, also more conservative countries, porn usage tends to be higher. Mm-hmm. Think about that. What if you really understood that it's the shame attached to masturbation and porn rather than the act itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's a really just great, great little takeaway. Great little, great little question to ask yourself. Um, all right, moving on. Number seven, how would you respond to this? Women are more emotionally stimulated. Men are visually stimulated. No exceptions. Bullshit. (laughs) I say bullshit. There's a caveat of truth in that. But the problem is the caveat of truth is then blown out of proportion. The caveat of truth is not necessarily associated with biology either. There's a lot more factors into it. (laughs) No. We know, in general, women tend to be more emotionally stimulated in terms of sexuality, but it doesn't mean that women can't also be visually stimulated too. Women, like, I am absolutely a visual creature. Maybe, are you a visual creature? I don't know. There are certain things that I will see in not just my husband's other things where I'm thinking... And it doesn't, I mean, if I speak for myself, it doesn't have to be naked flesh. For me, seeing a man in a suit. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Or like, no, seeing someone, for some reason, seeing a man in a cashmere sweater. (laughs) 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 Oh boy. boy. And we know that in general, men tend to be more visually stimulated. But I always wonder, again, how much of that is due to socialization? And because when we think about, when we, when we know that, when we hear that statistic that women tend to be more emotionally stimulated, is that also to do with sex shaming of women, that women aren't allowed to do that? Or, and what if we have been fed this very one-dimensional view of what is seen to be sexually attractive? Women can mm-hmm. absolutely be visually stimulated in the same right. way that men can absolutely be emotionally stimulated. This binary mm-hmm. is incredibly harmful and it's incredibly yeah. restrictive for every gender as well. Mm-hmm. So no, women can right. be just as visually stimulated and emotionally stimulated, everything. Absolutely. And then it, and then just like the factors of, of growing up in a patriarchal society where a man might walk into a sexual experience and automatically feel safe because yeah. he is a man who grew up in a patriarchal society and a woman mm-hmm. might walk into a sexual situation and has so much of justification and story behind she's going to need more emotional support in that experience not because of her biology but because of the way that she grew up in this society um so there's so much more that contributes to that um and i know many 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 women who are very visually um, you're smiling, maybe you're slightly visually. It's a bit, it's a bit. Um, <laughs> all right, number eight. Number eight. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, I don't know if we're going to be able to have, have time to get through all of these. I'm keeping you past time. Are you Are you okay? I'm good Take for time. I, I have, I have um, what's the okay. word? on. All right, all right. I'm, I'm glancing over these to see if there's like, oh, these, these like have to be answered right now um uh okay uh, how would you respond to men have high sex drives um and therefore it is a woman's job to guard both their own purity and the purity of the man by saying no and covering their bodies oh god so much to unpick it so also statistically speaking no like it is completely 
very, very common for men to have low sex drives. So let's throw this out the window, this idea that men by default have a high sex drive and are just these completely uncontrollable, horny sex beasts where they've got to keep their penises locked up how they often keep because they're just always so ragingly horny and you've got to control them like this horny bull. That, that's, that's, the, that's the idea they're perpetuating. It is also incredibly dehumanizing to men. This idea that as a man, if you're watching this as a man, that you are this one-dimensional, horny sex beast who cannot control yourself. How, what does that say about you? That's absolutely mm. not true. But also, it, it, well, that's, it's victim blaming on women. Mm -hmm. Anytime a woman is assaulted or has something non-consensual, yeah. the onus is always on her rather than the man. It completely eliminates personal responsibility. Especially, you know, in Christianity does like to talk a lot about personal responsibility. Then yep. what about personal responsibility for you that you have ownership over your own body and desires? And this idea that you can see somebody and feel incredibly sexually attracted to them and not mm -hmm. have to act on it. And know that you don't have to act on it and that you can trust mm -hmm. yourself not to act on it. But also this idea that women can't have high sexual desire as well. That's complete bullshit. So, yeah, complete bullshit. And it kind of comes back to the first point, it's entitlement. Yeah. Whenever it's entitlement to women's bodies, it's entitlement to a woman's sexuality. And it's completely dehumanizing for every gender. So, bullshit. Yes. I, I heard someone say once that uh, in the, in the uh, evangelicalism, there's a narrative that you know, men can't control themselves and they're super sex raised. But then also, women are too emotional to lead. It's like, you cannot have both. Like, you can't have both. So rage filled and he cannot control himself. But then women, you're too emotional and you can't be pastors and you can't be the heads of your family. And just like the hypocrisy of those two belief systems existing side by side. Um, and it all, it all comes down to, as you said, and another way, that, another way that I think about it, if, if we go deeper than that, it's also it's telling men that you are inevitably a predator. Yeah. Does that what does that do to your it own? It's a culture of predators and and a culture that um that uh in, in bases, basically enables and endorses it. It does, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking for men themselves, it's you're telling yourself you're a predator. Mm -hmm. How, what is that doing to your own sense of self and your psyche that you are being enabled and encouraged to be a predator? And, you know, I've met also Christian men who feel this deep shame and mm -hmm. this deep worry of being a predator and being like that. And this worry that I'm going to turn into this awful, horny sex beast who can't control themselves. Mm -hmm. It's this whole idea, this whole concept that men cannot control themselves. It's damaging to everybody. Mm -hmm. And it takes away this onus of that you can have a high sex drive and not act on it and enjoy it for what it is. And mm -hmm. this is why understanding consent, understanding and deconstructing misogyny and internalized misogyny is so important. That Absolutely. you can have a high sex drive and that's a wonderful thing and know that you cannot act on it. And it's always not a good idea to act on it in certain situations. Mm -hmm. It's ownership and personal responsibility. Absolutely. And it's possible. And it's possible. Uh, I'm going to skip the last two questions because we kind of have already um, ad addressed them a little bit in the other questions. And so the last two then are, uh, how would you respond to your virginity is valuable, potentially the most valuable thing about you. Once it's gone, it's gone for good. No going back. Oh, number one, define virginity. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's get specific here. Let's get really specific. Um, and even if you think you're being specific, is virginity to you penis inside your vagina? Is that how you define virginity? Because it is, if it is, that's a very fragile and bullshitty way of defining virginity. Mm -hmm. Also, the idea that once you have had a penis inside you know, speaking to women in vulva habits here, it's incredibly patriarchal to think about mm -hmm. that. That as soon as a woman has entered you, that somehow your spiritual value has changed. No, 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 no. Absolute crap. 
And again, it comes back to this idea that your soul and your spiritual connection, that your gifts can somehow be altered by having somebody inserting something inside of your body. Also think about the idea of the meaning you are putting on something entering your vagina, the meaning you're putting onto genitals, the meaning you're putting onto arousal. And, you know, within Christianity and most all patriarchal religions, it creates this massive divide between sex and spirit. But somehow mm-hmm. sex is something crass and um, what's it base and carnal and bad and sinful and earthy. And in order to be spiritual, you must separate yourself from that. Mm-hmm. What? How does that teach you about sex? What if the converse could be true that your sexuality could be portal to your spirituality? Mm-hmm. That you, you know, in in tantra, there's this idea that you can that the orgasm is the closest thing to enlightenment or the closest mm-hmm. thing to experiencing heaven. Or if you could reframe it like that, the idea that your spiritual value and you're going to be forever changed after you lose your virginity is so damaging. It's Mm -hmm. so damaging. And I really urge you to, this is where doing some, you know, healing work and reclaiming on befriending your vagina, befriending your body and your sexuality, that nothing was ever taken from you. Nothing Mm -hmm. was lost. You never lost your virginity. You had your sexual debut. Yeah. I, as I have um, grown and been studying and deconstructing and all of the things and having a wider um, expanded view of like what sex is, it's not just penetration. Penetration is a form of sex and then there's so much that can be considered sex. I love bursting my friends' bubbles, the ones that saved themselves uh, for a marriage and be like, actually, you did have sex. That's considered sex. You had sex before you got married. What, <laughs> like, what, did you say bubbles? They were, they were, uh, they saved themselves. Marriage, so they like didn't have penetrative sex until marriage. And I love like bursting that bubble and telling them, uh, actually, you did have sex. Actually, you did. You did. You had, you had oral. It's considered sex. So. Oh, you did all these fun things. But there's a really awesome teacher called Betty Martin, or Dr. Betty Martin, and I don't know if she defined it, but it was on her Instagram, where, what if we could define anything as sex as long as the intent was there? And what if we could define, what define, expand our idea of what sex is, mm-hmm. and so make it much bigger than that. Uh, you could have energy sex. You could mm-hmm. have, you could make love to each other just by staring at each other or interacting, and isn't that something delicious? rather than something to be feared so mm-hmm. nope 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 um all right again uh last the last questions we've heard, we've already kind of addressed a little bit uh in other questions that we did so to just sort of wrap up um did you have like when you were growing up like a uh one of these myths that was like really stood out to you and just like basically was your 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 petness <laughs> oh. so i say it kind of it's a combination of these myths i think the big one was that anything inside my vagina would change me forever mm-hmm. that was the thing it was like any kind of touching my vagina my vagina my vulva any kind of stimulation of my vulva any kind of activity that involved my vulva and vagina would completely change me forever that losing my virginity would change me forever. And I know this is the big one. It was the idea that anytime I had sex with someone, I would create the soul tie. That mm-hmm. having sex with someone, i.e. penetration, was a very, very, very big deal with a potential for heartbreak, with a potential yeah. for damaging me. With the, So what that did was create a lot of fear a lot of dissociation, a lot of fear of my own body and sexuality that mm-hmm. somehow by engaging with somebody that this could change me forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that for me, I'm probably demisexual and that I often need an emotional connection with someone to feel really open to them. But it's not the same thing as a soul type and yeah. by getting my heart broken. It's that I need certain conditions in place in order to feel my most sexually open, but that's just me and that's how I work. But it's not the same for everyone. That's completely normal. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for all of the things that you shared. I'd love to give you a little time to talk about the group that you have that's coming up. So share, share, close us out with sharing about your group. Thank you. So um, I'm really passionate about working with ex-vangelical women and vulva havers. And I'm just generally passionate about working with women and vulva havers around sexual shame and around feeling uninhibited in your body and reclaiming the joy of your sexuality for yourself. So in, it's going to be starting February next year, I'm opening up the next round of a program called the Shameless Women Immersion. And it's basically a six month deep dive. If you think of it as a sexual mastermind. Think of it as a deep dive into your sexuality and the joy of it yourself. It's especially for women or vulva havers. So it's gender inclusive in that, in that you want to feel sexy for yourself or you feel that you are always giving and giving, giving and giving sex to your partner and you feel resentful for that. Well, you know that you need to do the inner work for yourself. Maybe you keep freezing up. Maybe you feel that you have a low libido. Maybe you just know and you feel that you have a lot of internal sexual blocks and you want to move through them. I say you want to bust through them. In the program, we talk about loving ourselves into healing Mm -hmm. rather than trying to bust through blocks. So it's six months and it's a combination of different kinds of sex education plus movement and embodiment. I like this idea that we're working with the mind, with the body, with the spirit, if that feels good to you, but working with the body as a primary source of knowledge and wisdom. And that's especially poignant for purity culture survivors, where the body in general was something to be feared and something that was to be either subdued and controlled. This is where we really befriend your body and befriend your sexuality so that it's something for you to celebrate. And then it's something you can share with your partner rather than something you feel you have to give. So just call to you, um, do send me a DM. I'll be talking more about it in the next week, few weeks. Um, but I'm open for calls now for this program. Fantastic. That sounds amazing. So amazing. And then if anyone watching isn't following Lucy, please do. I have learned so much from her content. Um, it's really fun <laughs> to to watch all of the things that you create and this has been really great thank you so much this was awesome this was really fun yeah it's really fun talking about purity and i've learned a lot from you as well and i've suddenly remembered a lot of things as well the things you were saying it's like oh god yeah i remember that (laughs) exactly exactly so this is really fun we'll do it again sometime have a wonderful winter winter holiday (laughs) Bye, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uncertain is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org slash support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.